Everybody, welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. It's John Pollock here along with Waiting. How are you tonight? Not bad, John. Yourself? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We have a lot to discuss on tonight's episode. We had uh, quite a lot to digest from Dynamite tonight. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. We, we need to uh, maybe have one of those uh, digestive cookies. Yeah, maybe um, maybe you'll need a uh, an eight by ten of Mark Anthony and some uh, Vicks Vapor Rub. How how are you otherwise? Good day, bad day, average day? Oh, uh, it was good. Yeah, it was good. I yeah, no, pretty good. I got a nap before Dynamite, which is always amazing. Nice. So yeah, how about yours? It was pretty good. Um, I went I went out for for a walk for quite a while. It's it's insane to me that i believe two and a half weeks ago it was snowing and now we're talking like 27 28 celsius outside oh i brought up the shorts this week oh i've i've been wearing shorts for a week now mm-hmm. yeah it's just uh this weather is just insane at this point yeah. yeah now it's now it's just the insanity of the heat uh that we, that we are dealing with but as the warmer weather uh continues to intensify you got to be adjusting your wardrobe for this summer. And I know of one particular store that is still open during the pandemic that can suit your needs for the summer weather. That is the post-wrestling store. And if you are looking for a brand new t-shirt, you have listened to the right podcast if you're a member of the Post-Wrestling Cafe because it just so happens that on this show that you are listening to, if you are a cafe member, you could be seconds away from winning said shirt and just wowing everyone with your new summer wardrobe. That is correct, John. Store.postwrestling.com is where you can get all of our merch, and one lucky patron from the Post Wrestling Cafe will be able to get one of these shirts tonight. Tonight. Way is going to finish this show, and then he is going to set out tonight by foot and come to you, and sometime overnight, like Santa Claus, this will be delivered? Um... Well, I mean, there are certainly delays, but um, I I walk slow. It will be en route. Yeah. As they say. All right. Well, let us go into the uh, the deep list of names. Everyone is suddenly thinking, wow, could it be me? Could this be my week? Of all weeks, am I the winner? Well, waiting is searching for that winner. He has selected one and the name, the winner, the man or woman. That is going to be sporting the hottest t-shirt out there is. Congratulations to Jazz. Jazz? Jazz, yeah. The the musical form known as Jazz. Oh, I thought maybe if you show up at this person's house, he would throw you out the front door. No, uh, that will not be happening. Instead, I'll be throwing a shirt into this man's home all the way out in Melbourne, Australia. Because congratulations to Jazz Almaja from Melbourne, 
Australia, you win a t-shirt from the post-wrestling store. So I will be in contact with you very shortly. All right. Well, congratulations, Jazz. All right. Let us uh, dive into... uh, Well, first of all, I want to make mention that we have a brand new Rewind Away Up. So all of you patrons out there can go check out our extensive review of WrestleMania Play Button from 2015, the crowning of Seth Rollins as the WWE champion. And we have a near three-hour show discussing... All of the news going on that weekend, WrestleMania weekend, and a rundown of the show itself. A very fun show, along with our espresso executive producer, David Porges, who stops by for two segments to chat about his own coverage of that show five years ago. A very lengthy, but like a really interesting conversation. And I didn't know how much we would be able to talk about with one of these more recent shows, but there's so much because... You and I were there that weekend, and therefore we, I guess, had a lot of personal stories. And plus, the show was a really good show. A very good show. So you can go download that and agree or disagree with our assessment of WrestleMania 31 from Levi's Stadium, the only WrestleMania that took place inside of a stadium named after jeans. Can you confirm that? Well, I have never worn Madison Square Gardens. I've never... Um, shopped for a Pontiac Silverdome brand of pants. I think that this would be the only jean manufacturer that also has the stadium rights that a WrestleMania has been housed in. I think that that would be an island unto its own for Levi's Stadium. Probably right. I could probably, if you gave me some time, could probably make a jean joke about the Astrodome, but I don't know. Uh, if that one's coming together in my mind. I believe that participation trophy from Sammy Guevara, maybe that one was for me. Um, that he gave to Jerry. I'll get you the, one. The king of the dad jokes. All right. Some news items to discuss off the top here. Starting off, um, coming out of uh, the weekend, um, the current season of Terrace House has now canceled this season following the, the death of Hana Kimura and... It sounds like it's this current season way. They haven't really made it clear that this show is never, ever coming back. But at least this season, uh, they've kind of put the uh, kibosh on this season returning even once the pandemic is is over with and production could resume. Yeah, really no surprise. Um, if I'm correct, the original season was slated to go on for quite a while. This was supposed to be probably one of its maybe outside of the first season. But like this was supposed to go on at least, you know, through the summer I believe they wanted it to go through the Olympics and everything. So uh, obviously, you know, with the, the pandemic, things had to shut down. But after this, I mean, I don't you know. Ha- if- you have to be questioning if this series will ever yeah. continue again. And like, this is my favorite show, John. And I don't know if really it should come back after all this. It's just it, it'll be difficult for me to watch it um, from this point on. I think there's just going to be such a horrible stigma attached to it and it's not to say that this would be you know you eliminate this one show and this problem would would go away of a a greater discussion about celebrity culture but this show is you know it is largely going to be the focus of Hanakamura and I don't know how you could come back to this unless there is a a period of time where people would be uh, willing to 
watch it comfortably again, which I, I can't say that that may occur. So if this is the end of this show, it's honestly it was one of the first things I thought of on on the weekend, but thought it was you know way down the list of uh, things to be thinking about uh, when there's a lot of bigger issues. But yeah, it would not surprise me if this series never returns. But an incredibly popular series, and I think that that's you know part and parcel why this. This death, the suicide has gotten as much coverage as it has. Like this is a worldwide story with Hanakamura. Yes, yes, it it appears to be. And it's a very relatable story. Uh, We've come to realize for a lot of people in the public eye. And I think that's part of the reason why it's picked up so much steam as well, because a lot of people, namely not just in professional wrestling, but really in, in all forms of entertainment, can certainly identify with, you know, the the issue of cyberbullying. Uh, we have numbers in from Raw and SmackDown over the uh, the last week. So going back to Friday, uh, SmackDown did 2,044,000 viewers. But the, the more notable thing is that they ended up doing a 0.5 in the main demo. Now, all the other networks, they were into rerun programming. So take it with that caveat. But SmackDown did win the night in the main demo. And that's something that... Uh, for a long time, they were doing, uh, and then over the last few months, that has um, dipped significantly. But this, they at least won the night on Friday, going against rerun programming, so um, a, a victory in in itself there for SmackDown. Now, Raw, on the other hand, uh, came in on Monday, doing one million seven hundred and thirty-five thousand viewers, slightly lower than last week, but still their second lowest number all time. This occurring on Memorial Day. And uh, doing probably the second lowest opening hour in their history. So this was not a show that had a great tune-in factor at the beginning. Uh, Usually Memorial Day, it does take a hit. I don't know how much the holiday is a factor this year, but I guess it is there. Um, But anyway, um, maybe some better news from SmackDown. Raw kind of, uh, you know, still in their lowest all-time levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see if the turn continues. Moving on from that, we also have um, Chris Jericho announcing that the Rockin' Rager at Sea is going to go ahead uh, next February. It's going to be happening February 1st to 5th, where they're going to be sailing from Miami to Grand Bahama Island. And he made this announcement on Wednesday. I was really surprised that they're going ahead with this for February, which, I mean, who's to say where the world is going to be come February, but that's, it's not that far away. And this is something where you're going to have to be making that decision of going on a trip and in that kind of, that kind of an environment to be on. um, It's certainly to me, uh, the ultimate test of what uh, the public would be willing to, to do in the post COVID-19 world going on a cruise ship in February. I think that that's, um, to me, I, I was very surprised that they're going ahead with it that soon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, February is like one of those dates that still seems relatively far away. And with something like a cruise, you kind of have to make these announcements really far ahead in time. And I imagine, you know, he probably was faced with like almost a due date of, of having to make this announcement. February being as far as away as it is. Um, is it too early to announce postponement plans can chris jericho even announce postponement plans uh at this point i i really don't know but it's it, it certainly is a decision that i think is you know 
being met with some criticism and um the all certainly the test will be to see how many people buy these tickets in advance um and i'm personally most curious to see what involvement aew will have in it as we know last year they're advertised i mean they were listed here in the in the promotional material wrestling provided by aew Mm -hmm. and you know uh if if aew is attaching themselves to it um you would expect that they would maintain the same level of testing and same level of procedure as they have instituted for their TV shows. If the idea again is to record TV there really just, I would say, th- I would say this for any cruise line or anybody like embarking in some sort of like uh, business venture like this. I mean, the testing really has to be there to, to make people feel comfortable to really just like, even entertain the idea of enclosing people into a space like that for an extended amount of time. So a lot, I think will have to be, you know, discussed in my opinion, you know, between the, uh, uh, Chris Jericho and the consumer, um, in order to, I would say, get people to feel comfortable. But then again, uh, you know, we kind of exchanged text earlier today, John, just about this, but I could definitely see by, by the time like February comes around, seeing just how anxious people have been like this weekend, even in our own city, John of like being locked up in the house for so long, really like at this point, like so many people, I just feel like are ready to just dive right back into regular life. And, and I, you know, I could, I can actually see the crews like being, getting some like doing like decently, maybe not like sold out like previous years, but at least like, there, I could see people saying, fuck it, I'm going on this cruise. Yeah, I'm less um, questioning people's um, economic ability to go on this cruise. I don't think that that's going to prohibit people that maybe there's a, a significant amount of people that after all of this, they're, they're jonesing to go on something like this. I would just be, as a consumer, my questions would be, number one, um, it would make a gigantic difference if there was a vaccine by then. But I mean, that's we don't know if that would be the case by by February. I think that's a game changer for many people of their um, uh, of their comfort level going, you know, something as extreme. This is to me uh, 10 steps further than just going to a concert or to a baseball game. This mm-hmm. is, you know, four days on a, a cruise ship. To me, this is like the ultimate in terms of what you would be comfortable doing. Um, so you, you have like the vaccine question. There's this question of, you know, if a second wave occurs in the fall, like you could sign up for the I, I don't think they've announced when um, you can officially book everything. I think right now you can just sign up for the presale. But there would be the question of, can I guarantee that this cruise is going to happen? If it doesn't, what happens then? Is it a credit system? Is it a full refund? And you have to imagine that you wouldn't probably be in the clear to being confident this thing would be happening until probably a month out to really get a sense. And, you know, part of it is I I think that we are seeing instances of different sports leagues, certainly of wrestling and MMA that have been on the way more aggressive side that have been pushing towards um, events and and trying to continue this, that six months from now, may, maybe this is not um, that far-fetched an idea as it might sound now. We just don't know. And I guess that's where it's it's in the power of the ticket buyer. Like it is buyer beware here. Like this may go off without a hitch. 
it could have a significant amount of problems. I would just, if I was running this thing, I just would not have the capacity to deal with the potential headaches, uh, insurance stuff that like who knows what these cruise ships are going to have to be responsible for or make sure they are they cannot be held liable for it's such a different world and um yeah i i just think that it comes with so many um questions i i think it would probably be uh for chris jericho to do like an entire episode just kind of addressing all of this stuff for people that i think a lot of people would that would have bought it no questions asked as soon as the last cruise was over. Like, had tickets gone on sale then, I think this thing would have filled out instantly. There was They had a two-hour commercial on TNT for this thing. I think this would have done great. Now, how many of those same people uh, would be a bit leery going to, to this extent of going on a cruise ship as opposed to just the idea of going to a wrestling event now that I'm sure many are questioning. So um, that that's kind of where it is. Um, I would say at the moment, but I'd also be curious to hear from people that um, are, are are you and I more on the extreme side than others? Um, maybe there's many that they're willing to take this risk or are confident that we're going to have a, a much different environment that we're living in come February, that something like this can can go off and be done in this safe fashion. Are WrestleMania tickets on sale yet? No, no, no. There's... Yeah, I mean, something like this, I think, will certainly perhaps be an indicator um, of what the what the appetite for the wrestling fan is for live events and really like like destination big destination events and certainly uh wrestlemania being chief among them you know uh something like wrestle kingdom i guess japan's a slightly different story but Mm -hmm. um you know even capacity on the cruise ship will they operate at full capacity of what they would have in um in a normal year Mm -hmm. yeah yeah uh, and last thing here, the UFC did get their approval on Wednesday to go ahead with this Saturday's Fight Night card in Las Vegas at the Apex, as well as next Saturday for the UFC 250 pay-per-view. And uh, Eric uh, McCracken, who is a uh, who's a lawyer, actually got the, the full protocol of all that's in place here in Nevada. And just uh, some of the updates that we spoke about the, the other day. It sounds like they, instead of doing the nasal swab, they're going to be doing the uh, the throat swab, which if I was a fighter, I would just be – that to me would be my victory. It's like, okay, win or lose this fight, I only got to do the uh, the throat swab as opposed to the nasal swab. Game changer right there. Yeah, you're you – know, the throat swab – That's nothing to me compared really? to the nose thing. Like the throat I'll do in a, in a heartbeat as opposed to the nose one. The nose was would just be – and I have to do it twice – Oh my god! Mm, right. What? What would you have a preference? Um, I, I suppose the throat seems a bit more natural. Um, you know, it, I I really don't know. I imagine both would would not be all that comfortable. But I'm also curious to know like what the accuracy is between the two, whether or not there might be a difference. Well, it says um, here the FDA approved diagnos- uh da, 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 da. Just don't want to. Uh... Oral fluid samples shall be collected from a licensed medical profession, uh, practitioner. Only FDA-approved oral fluid kits shall be used. Uh, I guess it doesn't go. Uh, the first choice should always be saliva for ease of collection and sensitivity. After collection, the sample shall be transported. Okay, so it doesn't really get into the technical um, uh, aspects of wh- which is more preferred, but they're, they're stating here that the First choice should always be saliva, which I mean, forever we've just been seeing the uh, the nasal swabs. But 
I mean, are they saying first choice among what they have available or first choice period? They're just that's just it. It's kind of a vague uh, language. Um, I would leave that for a, a medical professional, but yeah. Um, yeah, they've also got the procedures. This is in my MMA news update uh, up on the site. If you want to look at this of what happens if there is a positive uh, test, they would actually, if there is a positive test, um, you'll have to seek primary care and then self quarantine in Nevada for 14 days. So it's not even a case where you can go home. If you live outside of the state, uh, you have to stay there and you're not allowed to travel by air until you get cleared. Um, solo car travel may be permitted by the individual testing positive if do they not if they do not live in the state of Nevada, but under no circumstance may the positive personnel be allowed to travel by air until cleared by a physician with the Nevada State Athletic Commission and have tested negative for the PCR test. Should the person fail to comply, he or she shall not be permitted to enter a closed system or participate in any future events of unarmed combat in the state until such time as these protocols are no longer in force. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 pretty hard line. It seems like Nevada was for these events to go through, and they also approved two boxing events uh, for June 9th and 11th at the MGM Grand Garden Arena. So, I mean, what this means for the UFC is that they now can run shows pretty much as much as they want in their in their home state, where expenses are going to be a lot lower because your staff is is there based out of Las Vegas and. It's going to be a lot easier to run it in your own facility that you own. Um, and then it's they're still going forward with this fight island that they have now trademarked UFC, UFSEA. Oh, really? They actually went with it. They went with John oh Oliver's God. joke and they have <laughs> trademarked it. And I guess they're going to be utilizing that. And yeah, that looks to be um, Dana White is, is saying July that they're hoping to do that. So it'll probably be Vegas right. and this mysterious island that they're going to be running shows on for the foreseeable future, while AEW looks to just be doing shows uh, until further notice in Jacksonville and WWE at the Performance Center and Full Sail. Those look to be like the four main areas for pro wrestling and MMA. Sounds like a map in Street Fighter or something. Uh, kind of, yeah. You go from from one level to the next. Like you start off at the performance center, and then you can graduate to uh, outside, outdoors at Daly's place, and then uh, you fly to Vegas. And if you another uh, another realm, th- yeah. Then you go to the island, and then you can go into the cinematic universe of uh, uh, of different places that they will allow wrestling in this in this time period. This is a hell of a video game that they could come out if they all collaborated. Oh, twenty twenty would make the best video game. I think if they blow it for 2K21. The pandemic edition. I mean, yeah, there you go. There's so many different match types, I think, that you can introduce now. Um, that that could be the savior for, for WWE's video game franchise. All right. All of your news can be found at postwrestling.com. Uh, read up on all the latest in MMA and pro wrestling. Dynamite, Wednesday night, Daily's Place. We started off with highlights of Double or Nothing. And tonight's show, heavily sponsored by HBO Max, which launched on Wednesday. We had the uh, the turnbuckle posts all decorated, the announcer's desk uh, promoting. Uh, this is Warner Media's brand new streaming service. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I guess there's some speculation of whether or not AEW will be a part of this. And I, I mean, after seeing the co-branding today, I really can't imagine that it wouldn't be 
it would make sense that something of AEW's lands on there. This is going to be not just for HBO content, for all Warner Media content on there. Fourteen ninety nine a month for this service, which uh-huh. is pretty hefty price when you're comparing it to uh, Netflix, Disney Plus. Um, yeah, they're certainly. they're going for like the the high. I, I wonder if like the the idea is. You know, we're we're not going to hit the numbers off the gate of a of a Netflix or Disney Plus, but of those we get, we're going to be making more per subscriber. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. You know, a lot of thought probably went into that pricing, which is uh, definitely a, a little bit daring at this point in time. But um, you know, I'm, I'm sure all these other companies would love to be able to justify a higher price point eventually. Uh, I think we we do like you know realize that at, if your content is good enough. That those five dollars or those two, three, four dollars aren't really going to make a difference in my mind. So HBO must be pretty confident in what they have. And, and just to clarify, BR Live is still their sports banner. Yes. Yep. Right. The inner circle are outside uh, with a truck, and they had made up all these Stadium Stampede Champions shirts, and now they've got to get rid of them. Ortiz is screaming because his ears are still ringing from the bell spot at the pay-per-view, which I thought was kind of funny. And then Ortiz and Santana reveal that the entire truck is full of these shirts they made. Yes. um, I guarantee you these shirts are going to be sold on pro wrestling tees. Oh, they're going to put this design up and people are going to buy stadium stampede champions inner circle. Uh, they should totally release these. Oh my god, are you kidding me? I, I, any logo you may possibly see on this show is going to be on a t-shirt. Any chant that you hear on this show, there's probably already a t-shirt made for it. This, this company is. I mean, the joke is that they are a t-shirt company, and they're certainly more than that. But they are absolutely a very good t-shirt company as well. Uh, man, at the beginning of this show. <laughs> They teed up like everything that's coming up. Uh, coming up tonight, you're going to hear from Cody. You're going to hear from John Moxley. Brian Cage is in action. Karushita's in action. There's a pep rally. SCU against Havoc and Sabian. Matt Hardy and the Bucks against Joey Janela and Private Party. I mean, they just lined up everything, and they had a lot in these two hours. I like that trend. I do, too. I think yeah. it's a way better strategy to let people know what's coming up and... Give them notice too. Let it be, sink into people's heads for a week that, oh, look, Dynamite. You should know off the top of your head like two or three things every week that's going to be on TV instead of I'm just tuning in and assuming that, yeah, I've got two hours to kill. I don't know what the hell I'm watching. Anticipation is a really like underutilized tactic. And often, you know, when, when we're talking about a, a random edition of a TV show, some some random match might have zero anticipation attached to it. But I think... Announcing it beforehand is is often better than just, you know, bringing it out cold. Um, at least in AEW, I think you have the promise of, like, you know, a potentially good in-ring matchup. And um, just, I don't think there's any harm in telling people what's ahead. No, not at all. I think it's a, it's a great um, aspect to AEW and something they're very good with. I I don't think there's ever been an episode of Dynamite where you haven't an, at least known uh, at minimum like one or two things on the show. And usually it's, it's many more than that that they advertise in advance. And you always go off the show knowing something that's happening next week. And do we know if next week is live or what? 
I don't know what the deal is with, with um, next week's show. I only knew up until tonight was was live. Um, I, I can try and find out, though, about what, what whatever's going on from um, the next couple of weeks. Like, in theory, like every – Jim Ross had stated he was getting down to Jacksonville somewhere around May 4th and staying there until the 29th. So that's Friday. So I don't know if they're taping any more this week. Um, it would seem strange that they'd be now going home and coming back every week. So, yeah, it would be something to find out and see if they're uh, taping or are going to try and do what WWE is doing maybe where it's kind of, you know, we, we tape a few, go home, come back, do that kind of schedule. Mm. The Elite are in their locker room and Matt Hardy was proud to go to the Great War with them. Hangman Page and Kenny Omega just state, well, we're going back to the hotel. Page is going to drink, and Omega joins him because uh, he wants some milk. So that removed these two, and I immediately thought, okay, well, this screams angle, and these two are accounted for that they're gone. Uh, Matt Jackson asks for a different version of Matt Hardy. So he leaves as Damascus and comes back as Team Extreme Matt Hardy. They ask him to go back even further so he goes off camera and comes back in. I'm assuming this was supposed to be like high voltage Matt Hardy. Yeah, like 90s, you know, jobber Matt Hardy. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Um, I so, didn't even know that was an option. I didn't know the dial went that far back. Apparently, 1998 was not the, the year that Matt Hardy was born in pro wrestling. Wow. Uh, maybe maybe he should have gone back to a King of the Ring Matt Hardy where him and Jeff are like opening the door for the people to enter the the ring area. <laughs> that would be a really deep cut. I mean, yeah. this was already a pretty deep cut, I thought. Uh but it was awesome. And so that that's his get up for this six man tag that starts the show. Matt Hardy and the Young Bucks versus Joey Janela and Private Party. Uh Jim Ross got in a David Crockett reference for Tony Schiavone as an influence on him. Mark Quinn got sent over the top for a Hurricane Ron onto Nick on the floor. And then Janela hit a Tope Suicida followed by a DVD. And then Isaiah Cassidy applies an abdominal stretch. So we got Jim Ross talking about Wilbur Snyder. And then he's got a transition to talking about the silly string and asking Tony, did you ever think the two of us would be talking about a move called the silly string? Nick missed Joey Janela on the floor and ends up super kicking the blade who is there in the crowd. Butcher and the Blade then start attacking Nick, which prompts Matt Jackson to get involved. And <laughs> Jim Ross, who just – this guy had just been raking up the jokes here for this one match, said, well, they could have all been trapped behind plexiglass. Whoa. Man. Damn. Jim Ross coming with some daggers tonight. Uh, we got a slingshot destroyer by Nick. Then Matt Hardy gets the tag. He just fires up and lays out Private Party and Janella. And hits a moonsault onto all three of them, which he tries to pin them. And Jim Ross said that would have been a controversial cover because we did not know who the legal man was there. Private party proceed to hit stereo dives. And Mark Quinn goes down, grabbing his left leg and is communicating to Cassidy. And this is it for Quinn in the match. And it seemed like Cassidy was really thrown here and... Hardy and the Young Bucks just work on Cassidy. They hit more bang for your buck and ends with Hardy pinning him at 8.53. And I haven't heard anything about Mark Quinn, but did you take this as um, 
just unfortunate injury because it also did play into a story here with Matt Hardy checking on him to leave with him and leaving the Young Bucks uh, to get attacked by Butcher and Blade and not have Matt Hardy there to help them. I felt it was an angle. I mean, that's with, how I took it too. with the amount of focus that they put on it. And I think, you know, the, the, the cameras and the announcers not necessarily shying away from, uh, you know, showcasing the injury with the injury, almost leading directly to the finish. I, and, and really the post-match angle, I took it to, to be, to be an angle, but I, I guess we shall receive confirmation, uh, in the hours following the the point that made me like question it was that cassidy seemed like really lost for good acting i I mean maybe maybe so like it was uh if so uh, a great job by them but uh once matt hardy gets out there and then butcher and the blade run in it it really does feel like it was just a convenient clever way to get rid of matt hardy so that's what happens butcher and the blade jump the young bucks and a truck pulls up and ftr Dax Harwood and Cash Wheeler get out of the truck and they proceed. This would have been just – this place would have gone insane in a normal circumstance. And I mean the the crowd that they had there, which I mean they have thrown social distancing out the window. Oh, yeah. Well, they're also testing like much more than WWE we've learned. Uh, yes, yes. It sounds like WWE is still just doing the temperature test. So AEW certainly well ahead there. Uh, but there is uh, there there is not any uh, distance really among oh, yeah. the people in the crowd. I mean, we we had a battle royal for Christ's sake on tonight's show. It mm-hmm. just seems like they are um, confident in doing things uh, in close proximity. So anyway, um, Wheeler and Harwood come out. They get into the ring and they tease going after the Young Bucks, but instead they lay out first the blade with a spike pile driver and then the shatter machine on Butcher. They go back. They're looking at the Young Bucks, but then they leave and there is no confrontation between the two teams. But the FTR, whatever we are going to call them, uh, have arrived in AEW and a good start to the show here, getting a lot of buzz from people and adding to this uh, very loaded tag division that AEW has. Yeah, this was a big debut. Um, you know, I would say not really a surprise by this point, given the, the BTE teases. But I think what was a surprise was how they aligned him uh, on the heel or on the babyface side, or at least the ambiguous side to start. You know, they avoided doing the predictable thing of having them come out and immediately attack the Bucks. So I think it, you know, leaves some room to tell a story and we'll see how they how they go with it. I thought the match itself was really entertaining. I've realized how much I miss this style of Young Bucks match on my TV. Just like really fast, creative spots. And I love how Matt Hardy was like able to be worked his way, worked his way into, into this with, with his gimmick. You know, despite at this being at this later stage in his career, he somehow still pulls off an impression of himself half the age um, with like sort of the high spot being that moonsault. It, it was a lot of fun. It was a great opener. And this opening 20 minutes, like, really did not feel like there was any drag or wasted moment at all. No. Uh, good, good opener here. Angle at the end. I really liked how they did this with FTR because there is an obsession in wrestling of surprising people and going to, I would say, near paranoia levels to keep things so secret. And when you go so far that it's this game of just surprising everyone so they can't even predict something's happening, you're really just building towards that pop. That that pop is not here to mm-hmm. to sacrifice 
um, teasing something so that you amplify interest. I kind of like this where they've started the teases on BTE and everyone knows, okay, they're coming. And it's something that each week for Dynamite, is this the week they're going to show up? It's like something there. So when they show up, there's a reason for it. You know why they're here. And you still got that surprise too. You didn't know when they were were showing up. And I think that that's something a lot of companies at times miss the boat on because they're so obsessed with the surprise that to your point, you can't deliver that anticipation to where it builds and and you, and you get that big payoff at the end when you're just so focused on the surprise and not enough about um, introducing them to some anticipation as well. So should they have gone even further and maybe just threw another hint here and, you know, actually announced the debuts next week? Um, I, I still f- felt like they wanted to keep you guessing of when they were showing up, but at least it's it's a bit of a hook each week for for dynamite that hey i don't want to miss this because i do know that they're coming in and that's where they're going to debut they're not going to debut on being the elite so i think you can still get away with doing uh, a surprise entrance but tease it a little i don't think that's the worst thing in the world yeah yeah i uh i had no issues with this at all i i, I think they'll fit i i'm really looking forward to seeing these guys in this division one comment I really like that JR snuck in at the end of this. I think it was Excalibur who was saying these are two of the best tag teams in the world. I think he might have even said they might be the two best tag teams in the world. And Jim Ross then clarified saying they're the two best tag teams that aren't the tag team champions. Mm. It's like yeah. that, is, that is the top tag team. They are our champions. There's no one above them. And I mm-hmm. think that that's always how champions should be portrayed. If this was MMA... Um, and the person wasn't holding the belt, I don't think you would classify them as the best, you know? Yeah, it'd be, it, you'd be, it'd be a laughable statement to say, yeah. these are the two best welterweights in the world, um, depending on where the, the title situation is. Sometimes we get into weird interim territory, but uh, overall, yes. John Moxley enters through the stands. He asks JR for a mule under the desk and says that Brody Lee gave him the toughest fight to date in AEW, and he just unloaded some Jesus Christ as he watched the highlights of the ladder match with Brian Cage. Uh, yeah, mules. You had one? I have. They're pretty good. Moscow mule. It's kind of uh, his, his new drink of choice, it sounds like. Um, yeah, apparently so. He... Jim Ross said him and Tony were were drinking mules after after the pay per view on Saturday. I heard um, I heard Jr. on Wrestling Observer Live, and he was asked to describe compare Brian Alvarez asked him to compare Vince McMahon and Tony Khan, and Jr. said Vince McMahon is like an old fashioned like whiskey, and Tony Khan. <laughs> is White Claw. <laughs> <laughs> and to hear Jim Ross... Um, man, now I'm picturing just, Vince McMahon drinking White Claw. Oh, I'm picturing Jim Ross having a time drinking White white Claws. Um, you know, I've never it. had a White Claw. Oh, me neither. Oh. Braden Dave, I, I have Davey, nothing against him. They're probably drinking them right now as we speak. Uh, probably. Probably till 5 a.m. Uh, <laughs> okay, so, so Jim Ross is uh, whiskey... And Tony Khan is White Claw. Vince's whiskey. Okay. Well, there's our difference. Yeah. Brian Cage versus Lee Johnson. Uh, This was awesome. Taz comes out. He's got the towel. 
I thought this was going to be something where um, they they would have like Cage just winning by stoppage or something, and Taz would somehow use the towel to like mock Johnson, like he throws in the towel on his behalf or something. But he's just out there watching, and Cage just murders this dude for a minute fifteen. Um, they the, do the, show the towel just seems to be his motif for you know just like a I guess a slight callback to to his career. Yeah. Well, he might get excited. He might have to. It's it's hot out too at this this time of the year. <laughs> There's that. Yeah, he's but in not, he's in like full full clothing. Sure, absolutely. Not for a second do I feel like he'll ever do like the the throwing in the towel thing with with somebody like Brian Cage until you know maybe if Cage turns babyface or something. I, I meant more something like that. He wins the match and then he like throws the towel on Lee Johnson as like a signal of of something. Oh, um, right. Anyway, Perfect. um, anyway, so Cage just. Uh, Throws him across the ring. They show QT Marshall with uh, QT Marshall, QT Marshall with Brandy and Allie in the crowd. And it seems that they've gotten Allie away from her bunny character. They sort of introduced this on Dark on Tuesday where she came out and is kind of hitting on QT. And that's kind of what they did for this. Uh, and she was on the babyface side here with Brandy and, and QT. What did they do on Dark? Was there... She, QT was having a match and she came out eating an apple and was kind of just flirting with QT. So it would seem like Butcher and Blade are going to do their thing and Allie is doing whatever this is now with, with uh, QT Marshall. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Unfortunately, like within the, the Butcher and the Blade, she really had a pretty diminished role, I would say. Like she, she was a bigger presence when she was a solo act on the uh, in, within the women's division. Um, so I, I, I understand that, um, kind of weird, I guess to have, <laughs> I guess that they never did establish that her and, uh, Pepper Parks were an item. No, no, this is, um, uh, just the, the bunny maturing into a woman. Maybe, maybe it all changed around Easter. Uh, yeah. Buckle bomb drill claw, not white claw. By Brian Cage in a minute 15. Really quick, impressive squash, exactly what it needed to be. You know, Brian Cage's big debut for a TV audience shows off his strength, shows off the his finisher really impressively, and sets the scene for this Taz promo. Yeah, we have Taz address Moxley. He respects him. He grinds. He's a top guy. And at Fighter Fest, you're dealing with something different, a machine. You bring that grit, the word of the year. And heart, I'm gonna. He, Brian is gonna tear your heart out of your chest. Beat him if you can. Survive if he lets you. Nothing wrong with recycling a twenty-year-old catchphrase. I mean, he took it from Len Denton, and now he's you know bestowing it upon uh, onto Brian Cage. Chael also stole this. Well, there you go. So a popular catchphrase, you know, um, uh, cage looks great. Taz sounds great. I, I feel like these two have like the early makings of a Heyman Lesnar combination. They immediately feel like a main event act. And AEW is certainly showing a great deal of confidence in them by pushing them there right away. Yeah. I like the pairing a lot too. And not one that you would like, if you had said, uh, we signed Brian cage. I don't know if like this would be the pairing that would instantly come to mind, but it's one that, Seems to be a, a really good idea. Mm -hmm. Also, throughout the night, we got a promotion for Fighter Fest, which is coming sometime this summer. 
<laughs> this this was a very vague uh, description. Sometime this summer, you're going to get Fighter Fest. I, I do wonder what the holdup is because it's not like at this point you really have to wait for venues. You know, like the, it'll probably take place in the same place. I was, yeah, unless they're planning something different outside of Daly's place, I couldn't imagine what the hangup would be. Like you're you're going to be running on a Saturday, you would presume, and just pick a Saturday and promote it. Mm-hmm. So I, I I don't know. I don't know what the deal was. Um, Britt Baker is out for an interview. She's wheeled out by Rebel. Reba, as Britt calls her. And there is Tony Schiavone. And she's got her, her notes there. The rules of being a role model. Complete with a sound effect. The number three rule is don't hurt the role model. And Baker calls it a conspiracy to injure her. And she's got the conspiracy board where the photos are, stating that she is top friends with the TNT executives, and without me, there is no women's division. So she goes one by one of the perpetrators. Chris Statlander, you being an alien is a crock of shit. Conspirator. Hikaru Shida, broke my nose, fraudulent champion, carries a weapon, conspirator. Nyla Rose, she says, I have seen her come off the top Hundreds, if not thousands of times, with precision and grace. Thousands of times she has seen Nyla Rose come off the top turnbuckle. I could probably count 15 would probably be generous. And I don't know how much uh, Britt Baker has worked with Nyla Rose pre-AEW. Maybe a thousand times she has seen her. Yeah. There's no way Nyla Rose has had 500 matches, much less a thousand. She's probably uh, exaggerating a bit. I can't believe this. She says that with all that precision and grace, she should have been uh, able to avoid her knee last week. So then we see the the big conspiracy graph with all of her evidence. This is the web of evils. And it centers around the brains of the operation Aubrey Edwards, who just happens to always be there when I get hurt. She was there when I got my concussion, (laughs) when I broke my nose, and then the knee injury. And she announces, I will be back at All Out on September the 5th, which is uh, more than the timetable Tony Khan had given of uh, two months. That is, you know, three. So either they're, you know, taking extra care or just feeling that we'll save her until September. That's uh, a longer time than expected. It really is a long ways away. And I I really can't imagine that Britt Baker will be kept off of, like, even out of in-ring action for that long. But, I mean... I don't know, maybe they have different plans, uh, or at least, yeah, maybe they have different plans. But I, I would expect her to continue some sort of on-air presence, because... She has to. She was fantastic in this segment. So good. I love this. You know, I think as we all expected, like, by this point in her evolution as a character, she was able to take this terrible negative that could have certainly cut off the great momentum she's built, but, but she used it to turn it into, like, almost the most perfect follow-up to those vignettes that she shot back in her dentist's office to l- allow her to not just maintain, but like even grow the stature of that character. Um, something like this, you know, certainly brings to mind Randy Orton's, you know, RNN injury updates that were really the first thing to click for him in the WWE. And, you know, it, it turned into like just a great continued building of this weird kind of like, <sighs> world she's built for herself using tony shivani again uh i love the continued use of reba as her like just <laughs> the clueless assistant 
who really doesn't want to go along with any of this. The continued use of the rules and the easel motif. And now she looks like she's throwing in Aubrey Edwards into it. So I really can't imagine her like, you know, taking any time off in terms of like, you know, an on-screen presence. But the announcement of, of being back at, at an event as far out as All Out is is certainly interesting. Had they not introduced Allie, Allie could have been like a great, it, it it would be too close to the TNA character that Allie played with Maria as like the assistant, but there could be like a great dynamic there of Britt Baker had it been like the Allie, like innocent character mm-hmm. uh, that Baker just bosses around. But that almost is a carbon copy of the Maria Canellis uh, Allie uh, storyline, but lots, I think you can do uh, with Baker, but yeah, that's uh you know, that that's the whole summer. She's basically out. It sounds like. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, for her, it's really not a bad, that bad of a, it's bad. Trust me. Like I'm sure it is. And I'm sure the pain is not fun at all either, but she, she will definitely be able to like still maintain her presence and even grow it. Alex Marvez, who now seems to be like the interviewer for the inner circle for Jericho to play off of, uh, told him to shut his ass. You fathead. Jericho promises one of the greatest spectacles tonight to get back on track after being robbed at double or nothing and orange Cassidy wanders behind them. Jericho asks, did he just do that? I'll see you later, orange. And <laughs> then we had Hikaru Shida versus Christy Janes, a non-title match. Uh, Jim Ross at first mentions that Christy Janes is from Brazil and then quickly notes she was born in Brazil. She lives in Austin, Texas, as if to say we were not flying in international talent for this show. Uh, Jane's is dancing all over the place and she tries to get Sheeta to dance. And as she's about to, she clips her knee. So Jane's is attacking her. They throw each other by the hair. There's a step up Inziguri delivered to Sheeta on the top turnbuckle and then a sunset flip coming off the top. Misses with the lion salt and then Sheeta fires up with a knee to the back of the head and Falcon Arrow to win. Five minutes and 20 seconds this one went. Really good follow up babyface win for Sheeta. One of the things that I, I thought they really failed with somebody like Riho was that she would have these big pay-per-view wins and you wouldn't see her again for like two weeks or three weeks or even sometimes more. And I thought it was incredibly important here for Karushita coming off of, you know, her big title win on pay-per-view to have a big TV, almost like, you know, like telling the world that, hey, this person won the championship belt and you have to pay attention to her. And they did that by giving her a pretty impressive win here against Christy Jane, who I thought looked really charismatic. So I could definitely see them bring her back. Um, you know, the decision to put the belt on Sheeta, I personally didn't really see coming. But the more I see it now, like the more I enjoy it, it's, it's certainly a division that is in need of establishing names. And I think Nyla is already on that level. You know, and instead, if Sheeta had lost to, to Nyla, it would have probably just sunk Sheeta back down to that, like, you know, rather, I don't know, kind of forgettable mid-tier status where, you know, you have a lot of really promising people, but nobody really kind of like, like, you know, rising out of the pack. And now Sheeta, to me, feels like somebody who has done that. She got a lot of that pay-per-view win over Nyla Rose, and I think she's... um that really kind of found like her her footing now in in this women's division and seems to be someone that uh, I think gained greatly from from that pay per view. They uh, they do a picture in picture of Kenny Omega and Hangman Page drinking whiskey and milk in their hotel room. 
it's an interesting way of uh, using the picture in picture, and it was amusing. Uh, that was it. That was their whole involvement on the, the show tonight. We come back, and Cody comes out with the TNT championship. Arn Anderson goes to the back, and Brandy is trying to get QT to pay attention, and he's busy uh, talking to Allie. Cody says his favorite quarterback is Tom Brady because he wasn't the first pick. And he says how Tony Khan wanted to recruit the best wrestlers in the world. And I wasn't the first call. I wasn't even the first three calls. I was the fourth call. Do you think that there was some subtle, you know, building here of a potential feud with the rest of the elite? Oh, I thought you were about to say Cody versus Tony Khan. <laughs> oh, or Tom Brady, I guess. Oh, yeah. I mean, Tom Brady is now involved in two storylines yeah. across promotions now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think this was more just an analogy by, by Cody um, comparing himself to Tom Brady. I think there are a lot of – there are certainly directions that they can go, but um, I wouldn't put it past him if, if he was, like, already sowing the seeds for something like that. He calls TNT America's greatest network, and his story is not about nepotism. He was called up to TV at 22 when he could barely run the ropes. Dustin got all of Dusty's genes, and then he spoke about his mother. She taught him everything about grit. Oh, God. Really? Like, I don't feel like I'd heard that word so much in, like, 10 years than compared to, like, these past six months. Man, they're, everyone's getting their, their usage. It's the he new will, shit, really. It is. It is. Grit. It's the new bitch. It's the new shit. He will outrun you. He will outlast you. And I will outwork you. If you're critical of me bell to bell, then judge me for what I'm about to do because of the schedule I'm about to take on. I am officially setting an open challenge. I think this guy just listened to our review of WrestleMania 31 and has been inspired by John Cena's United States title win that night. And how would he have been able to hear that? Uh, He probably went to postwrestlingcafe.com, where for $6 a month, that gives you access to all of our bonus shows, including Rewind Away, three hours this week on WrestleMania 31, complete with grit. That's really interesting. I mean, I wonder if he'll perhaps even consider joining our live feed of the Rewind of SmackDown recording that we're going to do this Friday night. He's welcome to call in because we will be taking calls from everyone discussing any subject they would like. Friday night on Rewind a Smackdown. Rewind a Smackdown live. Gotta add live to it, way. <laughs> he says we're still in the pandemic era where we are without our greatest asset, the fans. You fans blew pay-per-view projections away. I am obligated to give you my best, and this is where the fun begins. And hear any, hear any update on that, by the way? On which the pay per view? How well it did, yeah. Um, o- only that it it you know just based on you know certain comments here and there, just that it sounds like it did um above what they anticipated going in. I don't know what the expectations were. Um, but and, it sounds like they. I, I'm sure this wasn't anything like the level of the UFC pay per view. But I, I, I would say like it's probably another show that you know over overperformed uh, during this. This whole era and the the theory that people are not going to spend money right now looks like it was dispelled again. And, and is that are those actual numbers that we'll even get? It's it's tough. Um, 
I'm sure that there will probably be some estimate probably in the observer this week. And that's probably what will come out. I mean, um, like this one, it's like the U S number it's all on BR live. And then the worldwide number would be through, um, fight TV or, you know, your, your pay-per-view provider. Um, right. so it's, it's, it's always, you know, very difficult to, uh, get those numbers beyond, uh, one day Meltzer. Right. Okay. Well, yeah, just curious. Um, but either way, I mean, I'm sure there's, there's some truth to it and it's definitely worth trumpeting here. Yeah. I mean, if this one came anywhere close to, I would say 80,000 and over, I think that's a enormous success. Um, and yeah, this pretty much just sets up that it looks like Cody will defend this every week on TV. I thought this was a really good, like mission statement promo from Cody about, you know, not just his title win, but just like about what this title means in general. I, I, you know, certainly like watch looking at that tournament, Lance Archer winning this belt as the first champion would have made a whole lot of sense. But I think when you think about what the aims of this particular TV title, which is not really just a a prop or even a secondary belt, but a representation of an actual broadcast partner. I think Cody is really like the only choice you could have because it's, it's a belt. It's not just a TV title, but it's, it's the TNT title. It it is a belt that has the name of their biggest customer. And we know that TNT probably like, you know, I, I believe they, the belt maker said that they had notes on the design of the belt and everything. And they, I this belt is partially there really just to make them happy and if if the first champion is there to not just you know uh get over storylines but to perhaps you know wear the logo and and to be sort of like the face of the brand it, it that person is almost a spokesperson and really Cody is the best guy for that job he also really established the goal for the belt and I feel like you know as you would expect for this type of belt. He wants to make it a worker's title. I've always loved the open challenge concept attached to a TV belt. It'll be a great way for them to showcase guys on the undercard, tag team guys in singles belts. And I think it'll be a legitimate challenge for a wrestler like Cody, who will probably feel a lot of pressure to steal the show amongst like a really competitive roster on every TV show. I think there's so much you can do with this. Um, you know, not just that. I mean, you can really position it with the TV title that this is open to anyone. You want to get onto AEW television? Here's your open challenge to do so. And with all of the recent releases, you can do a ton of one-offs. And I think one that they could do immediately, because he only had a 30-day no-compete and not a 90-day one, is Chris Hero. Have him come out. Um Cody, one of the first big matches he had when he left the WWE was SummerSlam weekend that year uh, with Chris Hero on an Evolve card that I remember ordering. Um, I I think that would be that would establish right away that this is open to people beyond AEW, and it's a great way to someone comes in and they do fantastic. Maybe it leads to something, and if not, then they don't come back. But you have so many options with uh, down the road when the ninety day no competes are up that. A Zack Ryder could come out and and do something like this. Like you could have a lot of fun with this, and not just that, but w- with the people on the roster as well. Great ideas, yeah. As well, you know, it, it gives the people currently wrestling on AEW Dark like something to actually chase. You know, like even if it is just a slot or a championship shot against Cody for a belt like this, 
it is almost like a direct line to getting onto TV. Mm-hmm. And I mean, WWE, they, they teased it several times after Cena of trying to do like the open challenge and they never, ever came close to that couple months of Cena doing this where it became a cool part of, of TV each week on, on raw. And, you know, I think AEW can do it really effectively and this can be, you know, it's a Cody match every week on TV as well, which is going to help. I think. Yes. Kip Sabian and Jimmy Havoc versus Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky. They state the winner will receive a tag title shot next week, while the best friends who won the number one contenders match on the weekend in the buy-in, they will get the tag title shot at Fighter Fest, which is happening sometime this summer. Sometime this summer, yeah. SCU get jumpy before the bell rings. Uh, match begins. They eventually uh, take over after... Um, uh, where is it? We get Kazarian actually gets double teamed. He's beaten down for a long time. They do a catapult into an eye poke by Jimmy Havoc onto Kazarian. We come back from break. Kazarian makes the tag and Sky comes in and fires up on both guys, including a slingshot twisting cutter and dragon sleeper onto Sabian that Havoc broke up. Sabian then misses a senton landing on his partner. SCU later gets stopped as Penelope Ford grabs Kazarian's leg from the floor and he gets distracted by Ford and is sent to the floor as Sabian then drop kicks Sky into a Michinoku driver by Jimmy Havoc and they pin Scorpio Sky. 12 minutes, 14 seconds. Kip Sabian and Jimmy Havoc will face Hangman Page and Kenny Omega next week. Good match. I thought the action was great. Um, I think Havoc and Sabian look really good together in ring. Great looking double team moves. A win like this certainly, like, you know, tells the viewer that AEW is taking them seriously as a tag team. I thought this was, um, you know, Scorpio uh, Sky and Kazarian are, are very, very consistent. I mean, they can just work with any tag team, and I think they brought the best out of Havoc and Sabian, who um, have left no mark on me during this entire time in AEW. And I would say that this was, you know, for, for a 12-minute match, I thought a, uh, a much better outing for those two. MJF is with Wardlow. He says he is the breakout star here, and I didn't have to leave from another place in order to get that handle. He asks why he hasn't received the title shot. Maybe there's someone in the AEW office that doesn't like me, and I'm going to have to give that person some good competition now that they're a champion. And said, Wardlow is, him and Wardlow have a plan where they are going to be the final two, and then Wardlow knows what his job is, and Wardlow gets upset at this, MJF goes to scream at him, but then bursts out laughing and was only kidding about getting mad. So this was our first example of uh, eventually teasing Wardlow, eventually blowing up on this guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it achieved that. It achieved, I think, you know, the, the red herring they were trying to set up of him going after Cody's TNT title by winning this open, uh, sorry, this battle royal. Um, he achieved a lot in a short time here. Battle Royal features MJF, Wardlow, Peter Avalon, Christopher Daniels, Billy Gunn, Luchasaurus, Marco Stunt, Brandon Cutler, Sonny Kiss, Orange Cassidy, Colt Cabana, Luther, and Jungle Boy. Yep. All enclosed here in this ring. Uh, Santana and Ortiz come out and they jump Orange Cassidy for interrupting their segment earlier. Jim Ross immediately says that these Battle Royals are bowling shoe ugly. MJF is just hiding behind Wardlow in the corner. Luther got choke slammed by Luchasaurus onto the apron, and this poor guy just got 
rammed to the floor off this apron choke slam. Wardlow then tossed Sonny Kiss out, and then MJF goes and starts stomping down on Kiss on the floor. Uh, Cabana was hitting bionic elbows and then goes for his flying apple. Billy Gunn catches him and tosses Cabana to the floor. And Cabana's looking all dejected as one of the Dark Order members hands him a flyer, and Cabana takes the flyer. Cole Cabana in the Dark Order would be um, <laughs> would be a makeover for sure, for either either stable. Maybe he will infect the Dark Order and just like completely change the Dark Order into like a Cole Cabana. <laughs> hey guys, <laughs> we're here in our studio cave. That, that is what I want to see. Seriously. <laughs> An in-character podcast with the Dark Order. I think Cole could resolve a lot of, like, maybe, like, you know, his stories with the WWE through his interactions with Mr. Brody. Oh, okay. Yeah. He can channel Scotty Goldman. Yeah. We had a picture-in-picture break, which featured Cutler and Avalon knocking each other off the apron to the floor. They were out in case uh, you had picked either of them to get the title shot next week. Marco Stunt did this head scissors counter to Daniels uh, for a power bomb, sending Daniels out. Meaning we're going to get a Christopher Daniels Marco Stunt match. I, f- I feel at least on an episode of Dark. Sure. Yeah. Wardlow then military press Stunt to the floor. Luchasaurus and Billy Gunn got dumped by MJF and Wardlow. MJF is doing crotch chops at Billy Gunn, and then Orange Cassidy rolls into the ring, joining MJF, Wardlow, and Jungle Boy. As the final four, MJF puts on the ring, misses, and hits Wardlow. MJF just just runs and gets sent out of the ring by Jungle Boy. Orange Cassidy and Jungle Boy team up, and they take out the stunned Wardlow, who's still selling the ring shot. And then we got, up until this point, I thought this battle royal was like just Just any other battle royal. Like, it was nothing to write home about or to email home about. But the last two minutes... um. Cassidy and Jungle Boy just turned it on. They had like a fun 60 to 90 seconds here, ending with Jungle Boy leaping in the air with a flying Rana that sent Cassidy out. So Jungle Boy wins 11 minutes, 46 seconds, and will challenge Cody next week. Yes, I agree with you. I thought most of this was a little forgettable, um, as you know, battle roles often tend to be. But what really matters most is that they nailed the final four, and I thought they did that. Um, I loved how they set up MJF and Wardlow at the beginning and then, you know, ultimately had them be ejected by Jungle Boy, the person that MJF beat. So I uh, and Jungle Boy gets some retribution for that MJF loss. Really like completely rehabbed following that loss, if he needed even any rehabbing because the match was so good. But, you know, immediately sets him up with like a really big TV victory here. So um it was also to me a great little preview of Jungle Boy versus Orange Cassidy, which looked really good once like Orange Cassidy got into, you know, his serious phase, of course. Overall, it was like an entertaining way to set up a challenger for next week. Yeah, and I think Cody and Jungle Boy have to have like a blowaway match next week. Yeah, to really establish what these these TV titles or the TNT title is going to bring every week. Like this is the first impression for everyone to see this. You know, Jungle Boy getting several big near falls, and like I see that 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 should probably headline the show next week. To be honest, considering that it's Cody that's going to be like you know leading all these matches, I mean, I I, I do imagine if we'll get a lot more storytelling for all these all these TNT title matches. I mean, that certainly is you know his style, like that old school kind of like in ring psychology, even like you know a great deal of setup, perhaps on a road to or something. I wonder how much of that we'll really get, 
or is he going to change it up and and maybe you know take it in a different direction? So next week uh, they announce Cody and Jungle Boy, Page and Omega against Sabian and Jimmy Havoc, and Chris Jericho will be in action. No opponent listed. Final segment is the pep rally, and we've got the cheerleaders and the band members out, including Vicky Guerrero, who comes out with the pom poms and starts yelling wearing an inner circle shirt, and she introduces them one by one, just screaming at the top of her lungs. And she was doing a, are you kidding me, which which appears to have replaced, excuse me. Yes. Um, she was it, great. She was perfect for this role. She was really great as they came out. And I was just thinking here as the inner circle's coming out, whenever it is, the first time they are back in an arena, that is going to be a scene First time the crowd gets to sing along with this song. I think it's yeah. going to be like the most memorable moment of like months uh, for this for this promotion when that collective crowd sings this song at the top of their lungs for the first time in months. And then and then Asia cut it off. He- <laughs> right away. <laughs> that, that would be so great. That would be amazing. <laughs> Dude, we've given them like four solid ideas on this on this oh, show. They would have come up with it themselves. I'm copywriting, trademarking <laughs> everything on this show. So out they come. They throw out the stadium stampede shirts to the uh to the stand-ins in the crowd. And they get tossed back, some of them. Sammy Guevara says that we didn't win. But we all participated, so he got them participation trophies, including the King of Dad Jokes trophy for Jericho. The Jericho asks him about and says, well, it's hard to get trophies during this pandemic. And Santana's got gifts for everyone. This included the Vicks Vapor Rub for Sammy Guevara, who's all injured, Tim's for Jake Hager, knockoff Tim's, and then an 8x10 of Mark Anthony for Jericho that I guess is some kind of a joke. These are all uh, you know, New York, Puerto Wait. Rican references. From Santana. Okay. Well, um, Jericho. Why else would he bring out like Vapor Rub and discount Timberlands randomly? Well, I don't think yeah. a Vicks Vapor Rub is like a product of the Bronx. That doesn't. Uh, but, but but I guess these. I I thought maybe it was like he just went to like some bargain basement like dollar store and this was what was there in the uh, inventory. Yeah, yeah, maybe they. Just- I mean, he got a sandwich for for Ortiz and a Mark Anthony uh, photo. Jericho got Sammy Guevara a hit me up scooter, which <laughs> oh amazing! I I laughed out loud at this thing. This it is, is the so... perfect like heel like oh tool. I I when I went to Vegas and our friend Justin broke his uh, ankle, he had to go around Vegas using this thing. He was in his wedding with this thing. He had to go do his wedding with this thing, and it's. Oh Instantly brought me back to that, and it was just the funniest thing in the world. Yeah, Ortiz, <laughs> Ortiz gets noise canceling headphones from Jericho, and it cuts out all of the the ringing in his ears. I I loved it. They were they used this loss as an opportunity to like you know give like fresh coats of paint for each guy. But then the best one was Jake Hager, who has written a poem called Happiness. And this poem, <laughs> dude, this this was them finally nailing, like, the Jake Hager character. This was it for me. Uh, they've gone with all these different ideas, some good, some bad. But this, 
they nailed it. And I don't know if it was Jericho that wrote this, but that's my suspicion. Um, this was so funny. He run, you are all the Besla, and I can't wait to run over the elite with my Tesla. And then he gets all intense and is just like ensuring death upon the elite. And then they have to calm him down. And he just says, the end. It's fine. I'm happy. This is the best Jake Hager has ever been. This poem was awesome. It was great. It was great. You know, I did get a sense that maybe they were rushing a little through all this, and and you can certainly understand why because there was so much to come with with the clock. They there. needed more time for this segment. Oh, yeah. They don't. They didn't start this till like twelve, thirteen minutes were left in the show, and they have like a hard out on 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 the show. So mm-hmm. yeah, I I think maybe maybe it was a case of that tag match going long before them. That went like twelve minutes, um, or or the battle royal. Um, but yeah. anyway. Um, they had a lot to get to here, but I was glad that the poem did not get sacrificed. Jericho is asked, what do you want? And he says, I want Mike Tyson's head on a platter. And he hasn't forgotten what Tyson did on January 11th, 2010 on a Monday night. And he's been dreaming of getting his hands on his fat head. And Sammy says, well, I got you a cheese platter and the bubbly and he lifts up the the thing over the cheese platter, and it's empty, and the bottle of the bubbly is empty. And I'm thinking, Mike Tyson's been under this table, and he ate the food somehow, and he's going to emerge with the bottle. But he wasn't. He came from the back. So all of this just disappeared. I guess they got to it earlier. But I thought Tyson oh was under God. this table the whole time. That would not be an entrance fit for Mike Tyson. Oh, well, it, this clearly was not what they had in mind. So instead, I think it would, have been, it would have been an entrance fit for Henry Cejudo, though. Part of me was expect. Oh, I mean, Mighty Mouse eating the cheese? Uh, well, yeah. He's not Mighty Mouse. but That was going to be his character, though, in WWE. Oh, I didn't realize that. They, that was their idea for him when they were recruiting him was he could be a Mighty Mouse character. Oh, Jesus. And he ended up going and beating Mighty Mouse in the UFC. I think he made the right choice. <laughs> I think he did, too. So Tyson comes out flanked by Henry Cejudo, who was the last person I thought I'd be watching on AEW tonight. Vitor Belfort's back. And this poor guy gets no shout out. Rashad Evans was there as well, but never got identified. You know, he was I there too. I hadn't seen Rashad like since since his like fighting days, and he's looked like he's grown up dreads. Mm-hmm. You know, like looked very different. So they come out, and I don't know. Like I'm not familiar with Tyson's entourage, but I don't know who this dude was with him. The guy with like the the shit all over his face, and then he starts tearing his shirt. Don't know who that is. Yeah, I don't know. But this guy was a total goof. Um, so Tyson gets into the ring. He tells Jericho he deserved it when he knocked him out. Jericho is doing like a real like serious angle here. And Tyson is like on another planet here. Jericho's threatening to knock him out if he doesn't apologize. Tyson is more consumed with an impromptu fight he's having with his t-shirt that brought back memories of Lex Luger fighting his shirt. And gets the shirt somewhat off. And then he's just posing like right in front of Jericho, making faces at him. 
And Jericho's trying to like just do the serious promo here. So he shoves Tyson. This is like total recreation of the Austin, like the famous, famous angle with Tyson and Austin from uh, 22 years ago. And they have a big pull apart brawl. Ross is yelling. Tyson wants Jericho. Jericho wants Tyson. It's obviously that's the direction they want to point you towards. And that's how this ends with this big uh, pull apart. Um, I kind of felt here for Jericho, who I thought was like, tremendous during this segment but i didn't think tyson tyson was just out here like having fun and stuff and i think he really didn't there there was never that feeling of that intensity you want for such an unpredictable angle and the chaos that you want to convey to your audience i just thought like the tyson and and this dude who was with them like were just such uh such comic figures that it was hard to really get the uh the seriousness across that you want for such an angle right right I mean, if the comparison is, you know, Austin Tyson and that big pull apart, certainly this one felt a lot more, you know, not only like maybe uh, an attempt to sort of directly recapture what that was, but it definitely didn't feel as perhaps legitimate, if if that's what you want to call it. Um, nonetheless, I, I feel like they they achieved what they wanted to, and that's to get Chris Jericho, their biggest star, and Mike Tyson in the ring together to you know, just create some great highlights that they could use for future video packages and just whatever they got planned here. So what do you think of the idea of them using a WWE? I don't even know if you could really call that a, a, like a big storyline, but you know, just an event from these two, these two's past to uh, uh, do something like this. But I think it's smart. I think you're, you're, you're taking the, like WWE did this. We're going to make money off it. Like that's that's their thinking. I mean, it's just giving a reason for Jericho to get a link towards Tyson to set up a match. I like it too, and I really do question myself, like why that is. Because how many times in the past have we seen, for instance, TNA do something similar, or even like I don't know, uh, WCW referencing something from the WWF, and that's been met with criticism because it somehow made them feel not as feel like they're secondary to, you know, where, where the event original, where the angle originally took place. Um, I mean, there's probably ma- many different examples. Like with, with TNA, I thought it was so much, not so much copying angles. I mean, I, I'm sure you, those did occur, but a lot of it was, you know, taking characters and it was just taking their WWE character and just bringing it right in. There was nothing new to it, which I mean, just look at the examples here on AEW of like, that's the furthest thing from what they do with, you know, talent that has come over from there. To me, this is just something that it's just a thread of something that I think most people have probably forgotten that Tyson angle. It wasn't all that, you know, well-remembered when it happened 10 years ago, but it's just a reason to get to this. And we're ultimately um, pitching it like this is going to be a big deal. Jericho versus Tyson. You know, you would think like maybe it, maybe that's for all out or something at the end of the summer. Uh, you certainly leave this believing Tyson is doing a match. Um, and that's, you know, they're going to make money off of this where WWE made no money off that angle. Right. Yeah. A match or I guess they could do some sort of like special referee type of thing. But, you know, it's not like there are any other wrestlers in that entourage. Um, do you think Vitor, Henry Cejudo and, and Rashad will continue to play a role? I won't lie. The mo- I was more interested in Henry Cejudo at the end of this of what this means for him 
Uh, if you know, he was a guy that flirted with pro wrestling when he got out of the Olympics, but ultimately chose to go into MMA. Uh, he has retired. This certainly is going to add much more um, belief that he is walking away from MMA for the time being at 33. Um, was this just – I can't imagine this was just done for, for no reason that he was here. So I guess that's the question if if you're going to be doing anything with him specifically. I'm less interested in like – Rashad was someone who had talked for years about potentially going into wrestling. Uh, Vitor, I think, will do anything at this point if it's – you know, if it's going to be – uh, something that he's he's paid for and would do so. That might be an idea. It's I don't know if using all of them would be the best idea. Um, Sahudo yeah. would be the one that would have to me the most uh, upside to to use and also is young enough as well that I mean could could train and whether it's a one off match or do something with. But um, yeah, there, there's some interesting things coming out of this. It will get people. Um, I don't know. Like I. I don't think this will have anywhere near the impact of a uh, Tyson of a generation ago, but you know, you're working with the best person in terms of building to a match and it's all going to be in the buildup. And really to me, it's going to be all on Jericho because I don't know how much you can um, throw on Tyson's shoulders that he's uh, able to do much. It, it probably won't reach the level of, you know, WrestleMania 14 type of build, but at the same time, it could very well be the biggest thing AEW's ever done. Um, it is, you know, certainly the biggest celebrity type of, and perhaps the biggest angle that Chris Jericho has been involved with currently in AEW. And it stands to potentially garner them the most attention that they've, they could have had up until this point. So it's still a, a massive thing for AEW and we'll see exactly how far they could take it. Top to bottom. I thought this was a really good TV show. A lot they- of fun. I was just going to say, I think they do the best when it comes to getting a buzz coming off of a pay-per-view. Like, wherever your interest is high, low, around AEW, they hit a pay-per-view. They come out of it with such uh, interest, such Mm -hmm. momentum, because they have these hot pay-per-views, and it's like a high point of AEW interest. And they typically ride that into the next show, and they use this show tonight to – send you in many different directions i thought this was a really strong episode of dynamite they capped it off with a big angle that i'm sure they hope is going to get a lot of traction um i think that angle is more so going to be met with a lot of just people laughing at it based on tyson but nonetheless i still think it's going to get a lot attention mike tyson doing pro wrestling it's still something that people are going to have a spotlight on as would mike tyson you know entertaining ideas about doing boxing fights right now. I think that that's Tyson is still going to bring that kind of uh, interest awareness. Um, even at 53. Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel much better about him doing a pro wrestling match than, than a boxing fight, which would seem nearly criminal at this point. What What is the latest on that? I mean, you've got all these ridiculous offers that are being like thrown out there that I, I don't know how, legitimate really you can take any of them like every fighter possible that you would imagine like ken shamrock tito ortiz they're all angling for these fights with tyson i i really hope that no commission would would sanction him but i know that some would so um i think if he could get a guaranteed level of money i think he would entertain it um i I don't dismiss it but i think it's absolutely beyond reckless and irresponsible to for anyone to allow Mike Tyson to to fight right now, it was I, I literally I would not watch it. It's one I do, I do not have to watch that for for work for a boxing fight, and I would not. 
Let's see what you guys thought in the forum. Forum.postwrestling.com is where we allow all of our patrons every single edition of these reviews to leave some feedback. Out of 10, what did you guys think of tonight's AEW Dynamite, John? I, I go I go an 8 on this show. 7.56 from the forum. All right. Well, let's start with Paul from New Jersey. Two minutes in, and I'm already howling with joy. The t-shirt bit was great. I once owned a Phoenix Suns 1993 NBA championship shirt. Problem is, the Bulls won that year. I bet that if you... I bet you... If that truck was actually filled with inner circle championship shirts, they would sell them all anyway. We saw the debut of the best tag team in the in the world, minus their oversized cat hats. Rules of a role model is no tooth be told, but Britt Baker is my opinion. One of the best heels in the company. Accusing referee Aubrey Edwards of being a conspirator based on the fact she's been in the ring every time Baker gets hurt is such great writing. The Matt Hardy versions were a nice touch as well. This company is putting... Uh, is putting on a very solid product at the moment. Eight out of ten show. I actually don't know if she was in there when she had her broken nose, but I mean, she, I think she said for the broken nose. Well, she was somewhere. She was so somewhere. I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> she wasn't there. It did, didn't exactly work for all three, but she it was heel it logic. Did, doesn't matter. Yeah, Andrew from Cape Breton who says the show is pretty good. Private Party had their best outing since they've been able to get back in the company, and and I definitely think Matt Hardy has shown his worth since his return. He's extremely valuable in that he's a veteran who can still go with a strong character, so he should probably be wrestling Private Party as much as possible. Another team that should do well is FTR. AEW now has a very strong tag team division. It's sad they couldn't have debuted in front of a larger crowd, but it might be a while before we get the crowds like that back. The highlight of the night was Britt Baker with her take on the conspiracy victim. She seems to have a better case than Jericho did in WCW. The pun on her wheelchair was the icing on the cake. Yes, it said role model. Yeah, R-O-L-L. Um, then we had uh, Adam from the street here. Coming out of Dynamite, I quite enjoyed Taz proclaiming Cage is going to go all Temple of Doom on Moxley. Also, as the FTR came out, Matt Hardy is alongside all of these amazing tag teams. I'm left wondering how much longer there is on Jeff's contract as he must be counting down the days until he can join his brother. Say that happens and Brother Nero is eventually introduced. Do you guys think it would be a good idea for Matt to turn on the elite and have them be heels when going up against the Young Bucks? I don't. I don't bank on that happening with with, with Jeff coming over. Um, I think he's going to be a push guy in WWE. Um, it's something that certainly they they I could see them doing in the future, but they're you know that could be years away, um, and. You know, whether or not Matt will turn on the elite to have them be heels, that's so far down the road. Um, they, they they can do really anything. They can go in any direction. We got a Dez who says, Zoinks, guys. I had to figure out my password just so I could post about that last segment. What a masterclass in entertainment. With the tone of the segment doing a full 180 from funny to light to real attraction with Tyson Jericho, the entourage for both guys, and the chaos that came out of it. But even before that, man, the inner circle is hilarious. Hager had me dying, but at one night, but that one might just be the brownie I ate when Dynamite started. <laughs> Question. Could I have sworn the best friends are ranked? I could have sworn the best friends are ranked number one as a tag team, so why aren't they even involved in the contenders match tonight? Okay, well, they did explain. Yeah, they're, they won the number one contenders match, and they get the pay-per-view title shot. So that's they, they explained all of that. It all made sense. Alexander from Portland. Was that main event brawl the least physical brawl of late? 
For a ring full of current and previous MMA fighters and boxers, it seemed like there were only light pushes. Speaking of light pushes, it's great to see Jungle Boy get an important win. For all the commentators saying Listen, he's got the... <laughs> if they weren't light pushes, you would have a half a roster that would probably be on the injured list with yeah. like, the guys that are there. It was our social distance brawl at the end of the night. Like, I don't trust Mike Tyson to throw light punches. Um, Dude, you couldn't trust Mike Tyson to go in there and just look menacing. He couldn't even do that. He's, like, playing with his shirt and, like, making all the faces and stuff. And it's, like, he just took all the seriousness out of it. Like, I I just don't think – when you're working with Mike Tyson, it's, like, part of it is that this guy is is going to be Mike Tyson. And I guess that there's going to be a certain charm to that. But at the same time, I don't think you can have any expectation of, like, what to expect when well, I mean, there, there's certainly I, 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 definitely criticism to be to be laid on him about not taking this stuff seriously enough, as we saw on on the pay per view on Saturday. Um, you know, at the same time, like, could Jericho have legitimately slapped the guy in the face? You know, like really, like got him out of it the way Austin might have. Like you felt when Austin flipped him off, that felt real. This was, you know, it seemed like very, it was very carefully planned. I'm sure it was all smiles backstage. And then now we're going to go out and have fun. Um, you know, I, I, it's debatable. How, what, what is that line that you could really take, you know, with a big celebrity that's, that's agreed to come on your show? Yeah. I mean, it was such a different vibe in 98. I mean, you're talking about like a completely different uh, view, I think, of, of, Mike Tyson. Pro wrestling to people and Mike Tyson too. I mean, this guy is, you know, uh, less than a year removed from the bite fight. It's, um, this is more like this generation has grown up on the hangover version of Mike Tyson. Mm-hmm. Let's go next to Paul from the UK. Uh, good to see FTR with the save after yet another strong team for AEW in their tag space. Also enjoyed the Battle Royal, and I'm looking forward to Jungle Boy and Cody next week. While I'm not a massive fan of some of the more comedic elements when it comes to matches themselves, I'm all in on the goofy inner circle. The inner circle. Jake in. Okay, we needed a period in there. Jake in particular made me laugh. Then we hit that weird final segment with Mike Tyson. I suffered a bit of tonal whiplash when they tried to get serious, unless the whole thing was meant as a Tyson-Austin parody. I guess we'll find out. I mean, like it, was it was very similar, but it was not designed to be a parody. I think it's yeah. designed to be, you know, set up a, a big, it was supposed to be a big angle. Like, that was the intent. We got a Doug from Tufton Classic who says, I wasn't into the show again this week. The flow just wasn't there. Nothing was too bad. Nothing disappointed me, but nothing was that great either. Beyond the role model pun, which I give an 8 out of 10. The matches were all fine. It was nice to see FTR finally arrive where they belong. Please don't say they are going with that name. Um, That's what they were called. I think they are. Yeah, I mean, originally, perhaps it was going to be the revolt, but it's not anymore. He says, G1 Matt Hardy joining the Bucks was fitting. It was all just fine. But the constant buzzing of the crowd, which John identified last week, rather than than the peaks and ebbs, we really need to have draw us. Okay. And in general, lack of excitement. (laughs) Sorry, this is just a run on sentence. It was was tough to read. Um, On the plus side, it did set up all sorts of. Going forwards, which is what was needed for a post pay per view show. Why I can't just say that any of it got me excited tonight, Kenny. I thought it was just an okay show tonight. After a few good weeks, is Mark Quinn okay? That injury looked very real to me, but I haven't seen any updates anywhere. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll try and find out. I mean, I I read it more as a. It just seemed like 
an angle, um, but we'll see. Uh, for the Battle Royal, I was rooting for Orange Cassidy, but I'm happy they didn't go. They didn't do the guy who you forgot was in the match comes back and wins finish that we see over and over. My only real gripe is putting Billy Gunn in the giant spot with Luchasaurus and Wardlow when most fans think of Gunn as an average-sized guy. Unless we're going to see Gunn in some kind of a program, all they did was make AEW's monsters look small. Finally, I'm really not sure what they're trying to do with Mike Tyson in 2020. Why are these over-the-hill part-timers taking spots 6 out of 10? I mean, he's taking a spot because they believe there is a value in Jericho versus Mike Tyson that can accumulate interest if, you know... uh, we're just spitballing here if it's all out and you build your summer around this with several Tyson appearances on TV. I would say in another era, I would think that'd be a massive get for AEW. Uh, today, um, I think it's much more reliant on the creative of what you have in store because I think just the idea of Mike Tyson doing a wrestling match is not grabbing people. You've got to give them a reason. And AEW has shown a pretty strong ability to build matches. So that's kind of on them. They've got an interesting character to utilize, but in 2020, I think that that's much more on the creative side to make you want to see that match. On the Billy Gunn front, you know, when they initially had Gunn sort of play that giant role in like a previous battle Royal, I definitely had that same gripe knowing, I think, you know, having seen that, I I wasn't as annoyed this time around, but I I do agree. It is, it is kind of odd to have like, you know, your part-time wrestler slash trainer in, in Billy Gunn, be portrayed on some sort of equal level to like your big monster in the company in a luchasaurus um you know he certainly he is taller than luchasaurus and i think when you do compare the sizes of the two guys gun you can buy i suppose as a giant but you know dust like i just see him more so in the dustin Rhodes Rhodes role dustin Rhodes himself is really tall but he's never really portrayed as like giant and billy gunn throughout his entire career has never been portrayed as that guy so i i don't disagree i guess i i just i had internalized it and i wasn't as upset by it this week we got a tommy in new york who has a bunch of highlights on the show including ftr debuting and not generically coming in as heels and attacking baby faces wouldn't it have been great if they showed up in their like um vince outfits yeah they wasted them on the young bucks this week christy james is good and has a charismatic presence uh low lights havoc and sabian just don't click for me as a tag team yet but the match should still be fun thanks to the workers on the opposite side still i thought best friends were the number yeah i could i could see why people would have missed that little thing with the best friends um i didn't like tyson and his posse and this whole storyline i'm just not interested in mike tyson at all in 2020 or any year seven out of ten Quick note, I was initially taken back by JR calling Sonny Kiss she on commentary more than once, but shortly after found a tweet from Sonny explaining that his preferred pronouns are he or she and not they. Raymond from Sacramento, I'm willing to bet right now that the culmination of the Tyson, Cejudo, Evans, and Belfort versus Inner Circle feud will take place on the All Out show. It may even be a cinematic confrontation. Whether there are fans in attendance or not is yet to be determined. Ten participation <laughs> trophies out of ten. You know, I mean, that, that, that's one direction. A cinematic like <laughs> match involving those guys is definitely one way of making it work. You know, you're talking about people who aren't really trained as wrestlers, um, and a character in Mike Tyson. You could certainly have a great deal of fun with. So, yeah, that's one way to go. That's a possible direction too. I mean, Jericho and Tyson on paper, like that's 
That's a pretty ambitious uh, to put Tyson in a singles match. And I mean, all these people were introduced as well. It's um, that's certainly a way you could go with this. How long before we get WWE given the call to Arnold Schwarzenegger for a future cinematic match? Oh, um, well, they've got the entrance equipment ready for yeah the Hunter Arnold Schwarzenegger showdown. Yeah, um, you could really bring in anybody at this point. Vince can have a return. That's true. All right, we got a Matthew from Vancouver who says another quality episode of Dynamite from the debut of FTR Cody's color promo, Britt Baker the role model to that crazy last segment. This was hands down the best wrestling TV show of the pandemic era. And the last one is MJ. I'm sure this will be a controversial show for its ending, but it feels like AEW is on fire right now. They are making use of their talents and cycling through fresh programs. Their pay-per-view model limits rematches and stale month-long feuds. Everything seems to set up another match, and and they mix their main event talent and next-level talent very well. Throw in the fact that you can attract major names in MMA, have the full force of Turner behind them. I can 100% see a future wherein both companies start touring again that these shows are way hotter and sell better on a regular basis. All right. That is MJ's uh, prognosis for AEW coming out of tonight's show. Yeah, I think that this was certainly um, will be a heavily discussed episode of, of AEW, mainly with the angle at the end, but also setting up a lot for next week. And yeah, I think they're riding like a, a pretty strong wave of momentum coming out of Double or Nothing and certainly continuing with that after tonight's episode. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing what next week brings. I mean, if, if they have any... I don't imagine Tyson to like play much of a role next week. Otherwise, I feel like they uh, we would have had a bit more of a build for it. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see how frequent all that stuff is. All right, uh, you can head on over and listen to Up Next as Braden Harrington and Davey Portman have a full review of Wednesday's edition of NXT that featured Timothy Thatcher versus Matt Riddle in their cage fight with Kurt Angle as the special referee. Uh, so we will. T- yeah, we can talk about uh, any NXT thoughts as well on Friday if anyone would like to. So Wayne and I will be back Friday night live at 10.30 p.m., 10.15 p.m. Eastern Time. All patrons can listen live uh, for Rewind to SmackDown Live. Yes, absolutely. And uh, look forward to seeing you and talking to you all, all at that point. More stuff to come on this weekend, of course. Yes, we've got uh, Post Pro Res coming out on Sunday. Myself and WH Park, we will be going through the history of Noah. And I've just gotten, uh, I've, I've seen WH's notes. This will be an extensive one, everyone. So the look forward to that. Noah. Awesome. Great. Yes. Um, I was actually watching uh, some of uh, your work way, your, your past work uh, on Noah. Yeah, with uh, uh, Dan Lebransky and Moro Ronaldo calling the Kobashi Akiyama match. Yes, I watched uh, I watched a few Kobashi matches uh, you know, the other night. Including, I've actually I've actually got that whole DVD run. Like I've got that whole run that we did on the Fight Network on DVD, covering like some of those prime Noah years with with Dan and Moral calling all those matches. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I saved all of them. So someday, someone yeah, someone has put up a nine hour file on YouTube of every Kobashi GHC title defense from two thousand three to five. I can't imagine how long that would have taken that dude to export. <laughs> Jesus and upload. Yeah, imagine like your computer crashed or something, or there was a power outage at like, um, you know, it's quite 40, the labor, forty five percent, quite the labor of love. You know, uploading. They're all on there. there. Wow, uh, the whole thing's up there. Okay, we'll chat with you on Friday, everybody. In the meantime, you oh, can go. Ch- oh, uh, theme song. Yeah, the theme song contest. The deadline is Thursday. 
3 p.m. Eastern time. Get your submissions in at forum.postwrestling.com. WH and I will go through the submissions on Sunday and crown a winner that will forever be opening post pro res. So uh, get your uh, deadline, your submissions in before the deadline. Thursday, 3 p.m. Eastern time. That's it for us. We'll speak with you on Friday.